Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, hopefully, my voice uh, sounds a little bit better. I'm a little nasally still. I was a little uh, uh, under the weather over the... No, you sound good. Uh, I don't think it sounds nasally at all. It doesn't feel like my... sound like my nose is plugged. No, no. Is it? Uh, no, no, no. It's not plugged, but it you know it just feels... Uh, sounds a little weird than, oh. than normal. Uh, anyways, so, sorry. Maybe it just feels weird. It sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I had a little cold for a while and... Uh, it, it kind of lasted a little while. Usually cold. You know, you 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 uh, over the years you've gotten sick. You know, a little cold, sniffle, sneeze, and you're you're better in a couple of days. Usually, I'm the same way. This one's kind of lingered around for a while. So, uh, hopefully, it's not too annoying. Hopefully, uh, it doesn't sound terrible. Uh, so, we're gonna just kind of dive right in. Uh, this is a question from uh, Tracy. Actually, we changed your name. Uh, but this is, I thought, sort of relevant. We're coming to the end of the year. Weight gain is, you know, weight gain, weight loss is always a, a popular topic come January. Uh, and she, you know, kind of poses a, an interesting question. So why don't you go ahead and read uh, Tracy's question? Sure. Yeah. So Tracy um, asked this question. It was from another podcast, um, episode 52, called What Biased Ratio is Best for Menopause? So she had listened to that and responded with this question. So says, this is such helpful information. I've often wondered who 80-20 is good for and who 50-50 ratio is good for. She's meaning about the biased. So one thing I'm still confused about is the estrogen, the weight gain component. You said that estrogen, as well as menopause in general, could be the cause for her weight gain. I can relate. I was always very thin my whole life. Now I'm 53 and about 30 pounds overweight. But you also said she might benefit from getting her estrogen balanced and that she might not be using enough estrogen. So if too low a dose made her gain weight, won't an increased dose cause more weight gain? I have heard other podcasts and read articles that in menopause, we gain weight because our estrogen falls. Estrogen seems to be blamed for weight gain, whether it's high or low. Can you help clarify? This is something I'm not understanding. Thank you. Uh, yeah, she does. Uh, you know, like I said, she poses kind of an interesting dichotomy there. Uh, how can it do both things? I think part of the issue is that we're placing the blame, uh, the weight gain in this case, um, strictly on estrogen. Uh, I don't think that est- I think estrogen is sort of a, a consequence. Uh, you know, as a woman is going into menopause, her hormones are changing, but there's a lot of other things that are not taken into that cons- into that um, situation that actually. Excuse me. That actually contribute to the weight gain itself. Uh, Now, granted, she's sort of right. I mean, it's very well known that women get to menopause, you know, late forties, early fifties, and all of a sudden they put on. They've always had, uh, you know, control over their weight, and just overnight they start gaining weight, and they don't know why. And I think you know what Tracy is asking is right. Right when you go through menopause and that estrogen drops, women do gain weight. Now, is it like Dr. Mackey said? It's not quite 
you know, apples to apples is more like apples to oranges because the estrogen might drop, but then the relationship between estrogen and the other hormones that we have in our system with the thyroid hormones, the adrenal hormones in particular, that, that consequence of the estrogen dropping, that's why you see the weight, the weight gain or the weight loss. So we often put people on, um, you know, if they need the, if they need BHRT, the bioidentical hormone replacement, we often will do a biased, which is a combination of estriol E3 and estradiol E2. And it does help give them a variable or a factor to help them lose weight. Now, if you put on some estrogen cream or some bias cream, am I going to lose 10 pounds? Like overnight, not going to happen. Unfortunately, it's really easy to gain when you hit menopause and it's really hard to lose. But if you can balance, like Dr. Maggie had mentioned and was part of her question, if you can balance that estrogen, get the right amount for that particular individual, it can set up the pathway for weight loss to be much easier. Yeah. Now that's challenging, right? Uh, And this is where, uh, and she's referencing that if someone was low, we balance it. Uh, That's often where we might consider doing rhythmic dosing with someone uh, that's going to raise their 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 own, uh, I guess in this case, still exogenous. They're using it from outside the body, uh, but you're raising her estradiol levels to, you know, sort of a you know, kind of a physiologic level. Uh, and in those situations, I've actually seen women just kind of spontaneously lose five to 10 pounds. Well, why don't you explain for people that know um, don't know what rhythmic dosing is? Yeah, right. Well, you just mentioned 80, 20, 50, 50. That was the start of the question. That is a, uh, those are different ratios when you're using static dosing, same dose every day. Rhythmic dosing is trying to replicate the woman's female cycle. Uh, you know, so again, that question sort of comes up. If you're raising her estrogen levels, uh, now in theory, uh, this is something that I learned a long time ago from uh, Gary Tobbs. He's a scientific writer, wrote in a few books, good, uh, good Calories, Bad Calories, and another book he had called Why We Get Fat. Uh, and he had this uh, really nice, uh, you know, kind of, it was just in words, but I, I turned it into a diagram uh, in talking about two enzymes. One's called LPL, lipoprotein lipase. Okay, uh, let's not get distracted too much. We'll simplify this in a minute. Uh, the other one is called hormone-sensitive lipase. Uh, now, insulin is what controls uh, fat going into your cells and controls fat coming out of your fat cells. Uh, estrogen, uh, the LPL, <coughs> excuse me, the LPL enzyme, estrogen turns that enzyme off, okay, meaning it it's less likely for you to store fat. Cortisol, you were mentioning the adrenals, cortisol actually turns that enzyme on, making it more likely to gain weight. Uh, what is the what is the variable uh, or the factor that almost every menopausal woman has that we deal with? Sleep. Yeah, sleep and stress, right? They're all um, sleep deprived. They've been that way probably for years and they all have you know so much stress they don't know what to do with. You know, Between kids and jobs and taking care of the household, all the different things they have to do. Uh, so their cortisol is kind of left unabated because their estrogen level is either dropping or has already dropped. So like for Tracy, when she said, my whole life I was very thin, but now I'm 53 and she's gained 30 pounds. So she may have been stressed and maybe had some perimenopause sleeplessness. So her cortisol levels may have been high, but because she had her estrogen levels, because she was still menstruating, she still had good estrogen levels, that buffered the weight gain of the cortisol. Is that kind of 
what we're saying. I mean, that's in a sense what I'm saying. Until is that, the estrogen dropped in menopause and then the cortisol, like you said, was a runaway train. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because every, every woman that's in her 50s knows that you, you know, you're going to gain weight at some point. It's just kind of like one of these inevitable things, even though their lifestyles don't change that much. Their activity, their diet, their, the one thing that might change is their sleep. Um, but, you know, we've talked to lots of women over the years and they all have a, what they sort of consider to be a normal stress level. It may not be for their hormonal situation. Their hormones might not be that might not be able to handle it, which is hence then why they end up, you know, gaining uh, a bunch of unwanted weight. Like in this case, you know, Tracy's gained thirty pounds. Uh, she didn't want to gain thirty pounds. Uh, her lifestyle, she didn't eat thirty pounds of food, um, but something happened there that caused that to happen. I think it's the interplay between. Uh, estrogen and cortisol on and that per- on that particular LPL enzyme, lipoprotein lipase, basically tells the body or tells your fat cells to store more fat. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, as I said, uh, just repeat it because it is a little complex. Uh, cortisol turns that enzyme on. Okay, you're going to store more fat that way. Uh, estrogen turns that enzyme off. You're going to be less prone to store fat that way. So it comes down to lack of sleep and stress that, uh, and then the, the lack of estrogen that sort of creates that environment, even though it's a, a result that no woman wants. And when you're doing hormone replacement, it really is individualized. I have found if somebody is doing a lot of estrogen, they will gain weight because estrogen likes to grow things. That's why when you go through puberty, you grow breasts, you grow a uterine lining and get a period, you grow hips. So I do think when the estrogen is too high, it can create that. When it's too low, of course, it can create that. So kind of just to get it, make it more complicated is looking at this question, Dr. Mackey had mentioned something about rhythmic dosing, which he'll go on to explain exactly what that is. Uh, Tracy's asking about what we had talked about earlier on podcast episode 52. What is the difference of biased 80-20 ratio between 50-50 ratio? And so what it really all means is there's so many different ways of implementing estrogen therapy that you have to find the right one that fits for the right person. Yeah, because there's, uh, you know, now with rhythmic dosing, the caveat to that that most people don't realize is when you do rhythmic dosing, you're, uh, if you a woman still has her uterus, she's going to get her period back. Okay? Now, that's a deal breaker for a lot of women. And they're going to get their period back because you're changing the hormones. You're raising up the estrogen level to a high enough point where it it builds up the uterine lining and then you have the messaging between the estrogen and the progesterone and then every, you know, roughly 28 days, it's going to slough off. You build it up, slough it off, build it so, up, slough it off. So the rhythmic dosing basically is creating the same exact 28-day cycle that a female would be having when they are menstruating. So even though they're ovaries, if they have them or they're not um, cycling, you can still cycle the hormones in a way that is exactly like a female 28-day cycle. Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to restore the hormones to that of a 30, 35 year old, okay, before some of that inevitable decline begins to happen. Uh, now, granted, does it work for everyone? No, it does not. You have to be sort of a can- the right kind of candidate for it. Uh, and, uh, and you have to be okay with, if you still have a uterus, you have to be okay with having a period. But when it comes to these, uh, some of these uh, finer tuning. Now, let's just say a woman, her main concern is she's having tons of hot flashes. She's having them all day, all night. Static dosing will work just fine for something like that. Uh, maybe some night sweats, maybe a little insomnia, uh, a little bit of a either 80-20 or a 50-50 ratio 
uh, you know, three to five milligrams, three to seven milligrams, they'll be perfectly fine. Uh, now, if there's other things on that list of what they want to accomplish as far as what their goals are, uh, that's where the conversation you know, has to be uh, kind of transition a little bit because there's only so much you can accomplish with the, uh, with the static dosing um, because it comes down to a, dose, a safety and a dosing issue. If that static dose is too high, they might start having some uh, irregular bleeding or the endometrial lining just gets a little too thick. That's also why we use the progesterone. Uh, so the rhythmic dosing is just a, you know, kind of a, uh, a way to customize that to the woman a little bit more, depending on what she's looking to accomplish. Yeah. And with the rhythmic dosing, you're still, you're doing estradiol and progesterone where a bias, like I'd mentioned is estradiol, but it also has estriol. So like I said, to make even more complicated here is I, you know, if you're going to do static dosing, you really don't want to just do an estradiol only. I do find when you have the estriol combined in with the estradiol, which we call biased, it does kind of help some of the um, negative factors that you can have with estradiol. Like if you have, like I was mentioning, if you have too much estradiol, that can have consequences. Even on mood, it can have make you moody if you have too much estradiol. Now, if you have too little of estradiol, then that can make you really irritable and moody, moody as well. So there's, like I was saying, there's just so many ways to individualize it. But one thing about Tracy's question here is she wanted to know about the 80-20 versus the 50-50. So with, when you do any kind of compounding hormones like the biased is you can make any ratio, any microgram, milligram change that you could possibly even think of because you can literally customize it to one person versus another person versus another person. So there's no cookie cutter, um, you know, hormone prescription in that. So an 80-20 is 80% estriol and 20% estradiol. So for example, like a 10 milligrams, which we don't, you know, that would be kind of a high dose, but 10 milligrams would be, you know, 80% of that would be eight milligrams of estriol and two milligrams of estradiol. So you can see that there's, there's quite a bit more estriol there. So it's important, you know, for somebody that you're finding the good ratio for. I find the 80-20s do well with women that are naturally going through menopause. They still have their ovaries. They you know, their ovaries have just decided to decline and cease and function as they naturally do. An 80-20 is really good. Whereas a 50-50, so for example, 10 milligrams of a biased 50-50 ratio, 10 milligrams would be five milligrams estriol, five milligrams estradiol. So there's quite a bit more estradiol in there than that 80-20. So with somebody with a 50-50, I usually use that in terms of if they had surgical menopause. So for whatever reason, they needed to immediately have their uterus and the ovaries out, the ovaries in particular out. So they go from hormones to no hormones. A 50-50 is a really good start for them because you don't want to go too low on that estradiol. Or even some people, I do the 50-50 if they really are having, you know, terrible night sweats, terrible hot flashes, terrible brain fog. Um, you know, they're just, because a lot of times with a big thing with menopause is they cannot recall. I can't get that word out. I can't remember what I was saying. I dropped the sentence. So sometimes we might change that ratio up. But I even have some women where we do like 90-10, 90% estriol, just a tiny little bit, 10% of the estradiol. So there really is so many different ways to do that biased ratio. Or like you were saying, you've said on a few other podcasts too, if they're coming from some of the conventional treatments, which were all estradiol, yes. the patch, or even some of the oral uh, uh, t uh, tablets that are available, then you're going to start them on a 
more than likely, depending on the milligram amount, that's more of an individualized question, um, but you'll probably be more inclined to start them on a 50-50 than an 80-20. 80-20 is a good starting point, um, but again, that could be that could differentiate where they're coming from uh, if they're coming to see us as a patient. Yeah, exactly. Like, gosh, what was it back in like mid to that, like 2004, 2005, when a lot of doctors took women off of Premarin and Prempro, which, you know, is not, was not a good hormone replacement, um, Premarin, but just taking it completely away from them really made such a havoc over their body because that Premarin was so strong that doing an 80-20 of a bias, they were like, this is just nothing. Like, I don't feel anything. This doesn't work. It's not that it doesn't work. It's just the ratio is wrong or the dosing is wrong for that particular individual. Now, if I gave a 50-50 ratio, like, you know, to somebody that was just naturally going through menopause, that might be too high. But then of course it depends on how much you're giving them. So I know I'm making it more complicated, but I think Tracy's question is really interesting because too little of estrogen, whether it's estradiol or, you know, total estrogens can create weight gain. We, we know that, but then also too much can also, like I've seen a lot of women that, um, put on one of those conventional patches, it might be too strong for them. And they immediately put on, you know, 12 pounds. And that's the last thing, that's the last thing we want to do. I'd rather, you know, like you said, I'm 12 pounds without earning it. It's just not fair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's certainly, uh, certainly from some of the conventional things, which are all estradiol. There is no commercial prescriptions that have estriol in there. Estriol is still obviously FDA approved, which is why we can write prescriptions for it. Um, but it's sort of like giving the, I just had a patient the other day, actually uh, before the holiday, uh, was asking about, she was doing some research on uh, estriol and was wondering why we would use that because it's a pregnancy hormone. Uh, now she's sort of right, um, but you know, when we're using static dosing, uh, we want sort of the weaker hormone that still provides the uh, the symptom relief that they want: hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, uh, brain recall. You know, all those things. But we don't want necessarily too much of the estradiol, which then can start causing, like you said, unwanted weight gain. It can cause some other symptoms, uh, thickened lining, um, unnecessary bleeding. You know, those things don't happen that often. I mean, they do happen, but that's more of a do uh, that's more of a dosage uh, question. How many milligrams are they on? Uh, and <clears throat> I'm not really sure why this is, but we get lots of questions from people about their. BHRT dosage, but they always forget to put the milligrams in there. They give us the ratio 80, 20, 50, 50, but they don't tell us the milligrams. The milligram amount, you know, is it one milligram, three milligrams, five milligrams, seven milligrams? Uh, that That's what really matters, probably even more so than the ratio does. Oh yeah, definitely the math, especially when you have that math down. And I, just with all patients, and, and you do, Dr. Mackey does this too, is less is best. So you can start low and we can take our time working our way up as opposed to going too high and doing too much of something, and then you got to work your way down. So I, I love it when we have, you know, the, the, I love math in general, but when we have the milligrams, we know exactly how much they're taking in that 24 hour period. And then what their, what symptoms have been resolved, what symptoms are still there, what symptoms are not as intense, maybe a little better, but not completely gone. And then we can change that, change the variables again. So I do think with them, um, like what Tracy's saying here is, you know, is it too high? Is it too low? Our bodies are always changing. You know, it's always changing. So even with the seasons, I'll see um, people's hormones doses need to be changed, just just change of season. So I, I do think it's helpful when you're working with a patient or a client with their hormones is that you're following up with them. You're not just like, you know, I'll 
you know, I'll see in a few years or, oh, I've, you know, I left them out to pasture and forgot to check up on them. You need to keep checking their hormones. And there are, like we did on the previous um, podcast, there are blood tests to check your hormones. So if your estradiol was, you know, 30, and then we checked it after changing your dose and it's at, you know, 65, we'll know there was a change there. Yeah. Of course, you know, we're always looking at uh, some of those objective uh, parameters. Uh, Certainly you see a lot more change or increase to estradiol with the rhythmic dosing than the static dosing. But, you know, even still, uh, you know, like I said, uh, going from winter to winter to spring or winter to summer, uh, summer to winter, uh, you know, those things uh, affect our hormones in ways that we're not even really uh, conscious of or aware of. Uh, you know, our other behaviors change. We might be more active in the summer, less active in the winter, yep. depending we, on where you loss, live. Yeah. You know, less body mass for dosage. You've got to adjust for that. So there's all the time with thyroid, especially, I always check in with their thyroid because they, as females, we might, summertime's coming up. So I lost 15 pounds. Their thyroid dose might be lowered because that's, you know, less body mass for their dosage. So like you said, taking into all that, those variables into consideration. Yeah. So, I mean, just in general, um, uh, testosterone is what makes men, men and estrogen is what makes uh, women, women. Um, most of the time you're going to be, uh, you know, for either male or females, we're going to be thinner at 25 than we are at 55. Okay. Why is that? Well, we, you know, we have a tendency to become more insulin resistant as the years go on. Uh, and as those hormones start to change for men, as, as their estrogen levels rise, their testosterone goes down. That's really the cause for andropause uh, or low T is because their insulin gets a little bit outpaced. Uh, sort of the same thing happens for women. Uh, you know, as the uh, as we've been saying this whole time, as the estrogen level starts to de- inevitably decline, there's too much cortisol and too much insulin, and now it, the weight gain becomes almost like a runaway train in some respects. Uh, and believe me, we've you know just like you know uh, Tracy's case, you know she, she's gained thirty pounds. She's in her early 50s. Uh, you know, that probably just happened uh, what seems like probably like overnight. It was very, very rapid, very sudden. Uh, and her, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I would imagine that her lifestyle probably has not changed in the last 10 years would be my guess. Uh, you know, so, you know, like I said, it's complicated. Uh, is she were in this, uh, there's an, uh, um, you know, alluding to the fact that it's all about the estrogen uh, it sort of is, but not really. It's about those other factors that are influenced by a lack or too much estrogen. Uh, and, uh, you know, then it you know creates these uh, symptoms that we, you know, as humans, we just don't really appreciate. And unfortunately, at 53, you know, for Tracy is we can't eat less and exercise it off. It's, it just doesn't work that way. Sure. When you're 25, you could, gosh, cut out breakfast and like, lose 10 pounds. Like you don't, you can just like stop breathing for five minutes and lose weight. Like it's so easy when you're younger because of that hormonal balance. Now at 53, as you know, her estrogen has dropped that cortisol and that insulin has probably been a little bit elevated in the past. And now it's, you know, there's nothing to buffer it or hold it back that now she's having this issue. So it's not about here, Tracy, eat less and exercise more. I'd say looking more into her sleep, you know, sleep is a huge factor, making sure that she's getting sleep if anything, making sure she's getting enough calories in, because sometimes when you undereat, then that makes that cortisol go even more through the roof. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, discussion over the years, probably for the last 50, 50 to 75 years, uh, as you said, a proverbial diet, eat less, exercise more. Well, if you're gaining weight, you're just eating too much. Uh, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think uh, there's a huge trend where women end up under eating, 
Uh, and like you said, they try to exercise, they get to this certain point in their mid to late 40s or their early 50s, and they end up trying to exercise all the weight off, but at a major calorie deficit. Um, that is only going to make your body more stressed out, ex exacerbate the stress response even more. Uh, and now you have all this extra cortisol in that kind of environment, again, with a lack of hormones. It, uh, that's why I get, um, uh, I'm very empathetic to the woman's situation because they're trying literally so hard to either maintain or keep the bodies that they used to have. Um, but it's almost like everything they're sort of being told what to do or what they translate that, uh, it ends up making the problem worse. Um, I've talked to, I know you have too, you talk to women all the time and they've been exercising five, six days a week for months and months and months and they've gained 12 pounds. Yeah, they've or gained, they lose one pound. Yeah. yeah. Or, or and most of the time they might gain a little bit initially, but then they maintain that very unsustainable, uh, rigorous schedule. And now the scale starts going up and they, and they don't know what to do. Uh, so in a case like this, Hormones obviously are the right step, especially if your sleep is being disrupted, either just because you can't sleep or because you're being woken up by, you know, hot flashes or night sweats. So uh, as you said, we, you know, pay a lot of attention to sleep because everything, and in this context, weight, uh, the, even before you change your diet, you have to sleep first um, before the diet will ever change. I had a, a patient, a male patient, uh, he used to work at a, a juvenile detention center, almost like a kid's prison in some respects. Uh, and he used to work the night shift, worked there for like 25 years. Uh, and he finally uh, retired uh, after you know a long time. And within like three months of actually just having a normal sleep schedule, he lost 25 pounds. Didn't change his diet, didn't do anything, just started sleeping on a regular uh, night-day cycle or having a, a day-night cycle and stopped doing night shifts. And literally, he lost 25 pounds. Uh, so if that gives you any inkling that sleep plays a huge role uh, in at being able to maintain appetite and weight, because what happens when you're awake in the middle of the night, your brain wants sugar. Uh, you know, so your cravings for refined carbohydrates is going to go up, uh, not to mention all the satiety hormones that your body releases uh, to keep your weight in check uh, are basically being suppressed as well, because now you're awake when you're sleeping and you're sleeping when you're awake. It just throws everything all out of, all out of balance. Uh, so uh, that's why sleeping, especially for the woman that is, you know, the weight gain is the top of her list, but it can't be the first place to start. We have to sort of create that hormonal and sleep foundation, and then things tend to build off of that. And I remember there was, I think, a, a research um, that I looked at, this was a, like maybe 10 years ago or something, that people that don't sleep, like if you're not sleeping at night, that your insulin does go up. And like you mentioned, insulin is a fat-storing hormone. So if your insulin's already up, then when you do eat carbs, you're going to store it right away without using it as fuel. And then you think about like what you had mentioned, if you're not sleeping in the middle of the night, you're going to be tired the next day. You're going to crave sugar. I don't really want to exercise. I just got to get through the day. You're just on this, you know, kind of downward spiral. 
Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to perimenopause and menopause, sometimes women have been on that path already for a decade. You know, they might have felt that way for, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, You know, that's going to take a hormonally, that's going to take a toll. And then you decide you're really frustrated with your weight. So now you're going to go exercise four to six days a week uh, and eat 1200 calories. You're Uh, more tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that doesn't work. So calories in this context, um, we, uh, what we, what we try to help people do is create a very small uh, now if you're morbidly obese you need to lose over 100 pounds a little bit of a different strategy uh, but again some of the same principles apply um, you know just that might take a little longer because you're a little bit bigger um, but major caloric deficits we're not a big fan of that because that's the proverbial rebound weight gain that you lose tw- uh, 20 you gain back 30 uh, you get, you lose 50, you gain back 70, uh, because in some ways, when it comes to that, you can't cheat your way there. Uh, and, and the only way to lose weight rapidly really is to drop your calories significantly. Um, that's always going to backfire your brain, your hypothalamus will swing the pendulum back the other way. And, uh, you know, inevitably you're going to regain that weight. Usually statistically within two years, uh, whatever weight you lost, you're going to regain that weight plus more, um, within two years of, you know, whatever the time frame was. And uh, just on a, another side note, how, so Dr. Mackey, so, you know, listening to Tracy's question here, she's 53 and she's gained some weight, but how many patients have you talked to where they'll say, well, yeah, I don't eat that much only because I'm not hungry all day, but at night I can start to get really hungry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That That's all the, that's all cortisol. That's all cortisol and stress. You know, they'll say I'm good all, you know, I'm good for breakfast. I'm good at lunch. I don't eat anything. And then comes, you know, evening time and it's just a free for all. Yeah. Uh, it's biology. It, it's not willpower. Yeah. There's no, there's no willpower in that respect. If it's in the house, your brain knows it's there and you're going to sort of make up for last time. This is what sometimes happens with intermittent fasting uh, is that, you know, I'm good all day. I'm good all day. And then I get to the evening and I just lose all control uh, because intermittent fasting is just not necessarily eating dinner every day. Okay. That's not intermittent fasting because, um, you're, you're basically, you know, that's basically caloric restriction. You're, you know, and a major caloric deficit, your brain is going to get you to survive no matter what. And in that context, if you're not strategically feeding yourself because you're, let's say, hopefully, instead of trying to do four boot camps a week and doing all this hit training, you're actually focusing on, uh, resistance training, uh, the number one factor for aging is what they call sarcopenia, which is basically muscle loss. Uh, so the analogy that we just, you know, kind of uh, outlaid a second ago, not sleeping, caloric deficit, exercising too much, that is a way to lose your muscle tissue. And if you're 53, I'm not saying this is Tracy, but just using that as an example, if you're 53 and you're in a, you're in a sort of a catabolic state where your body is actually breaking down muscle tissue, if you don't actively do something, you're never going to get that muscle tissue back. You're, you're literally aging faster as you do that. Uh, that's going to make it much more difficult uh, for you to lose the weight that you want to get your body back in a place where you want it to be. Uh, so our kind of mantra always is to eat more and exercise less. Um, but the exercise, you can still work out very intensely. I think it should be relatively short during the week because recovery matters more than anything. Uh, you know, you can't you know, as a 50, mid 50 year old woman, mid 50 year old man, you can't exercise six days a week and 
be able to recover properly. Uh, now, you might be able to do that intermittently or do that for a period of time, but consistently your body, your energy balance, meaning not enough energy coming in, too much energy going out, you're going to throw that energy balance off. And then you're sort of, you know, this isn't the right terminology, but you're basically putting yourself into a stress response. Uh, and then it just kind of spirals from there. And we see that kind of pattern, uh, you know, women sort of uh, portraying that or living that on a daily basis. You know, and they're sort of terrified. They don't know how to exactly switch it. Um, they think that if they eat more food, they're going to gain more weight, which unfortunately they're sort of right. Uh, the, the inevitable, when you've been at a caloric deficit, let's say someone has been eating 1200 calories a day for months and months and months, and you decide, or I tell them that they should eat more food. Unfortunately, they are going to gain a little bit more weight. Okay, but by doing that, it's basically like a proverbial refeed. You're, you're telling the brain that you're no longer starving to death and running from a tiger, and now it can start to go the other way, especially if you're gauge, engaging in weight training you know, uh, two, to, two to four days a week. Okay? Uh, but the more training you do, the more calories you need. So that deficit that you're, that you're engaging in is a very small deficit, almost like you're trying to trick the body that you're getting plenty of food, but you're still at a deficit by, you know, 20%, whatever that might be. Uh, so, um, and I know you know this, this is just a rhetorical question. So if you asked a woman, how many calories should she eat in order to lose weight? What, what would they tell you? Oh, they all tell me 1,200. Yeah, yeah. Like 1,000 to 1,200. And that's just not not enough. I don't care what how petite you are. That's just not enough. And, and a lot of these women too, like even Tracy here, she says she's gained, um, you know, about 30 pounds. I guarantee you she's still gorgeous and looks great, but and she probably still wears the same clothes that she's always worn. It's just a little tighter. You know, I would say 30 pounds isn't dangerous. It's not, um, you know, you know, imp, you know going to impact her, her overall longevity and health, but it is one of those things where it, when you're trying to lose something low, like 20 pounds, it's hard. Like if you've got, like Dr. Maggie said, you've got about 100 pounds to lose, it'll start off really fast. And then it's always the last, you know, 25 pounds that are can be really difficult. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to lose 10 pounds and you're, you're, uh, this is the mindset or the paradigm shift that needs to happen. You're trying to lose 10 pounds. Your body will do everything it can to not let you lose that 10 pounds. Uh, so if you're one, you know, 145 on the scale or 155 or 165, you want to be 10 pounds less. Um, that is literally next to impossible. Unless, like you said, impossible in terms of eating less and exercising more. I do think like you yes, mentioned, yes. building up muscle, working on weight training. I mean, walking, cause you know, you know, walking people like, like you said, don't, don't exercise every day. I mean, walking, you could easily do that every day, but the weight training and then changing the amount of food, you can eat 2000 calories, but if it's a, you know, it's different, like 2000 calories in cake, you know, I'm eating a cake. It's 2000 calories is going to be a whole lot different than I had, you know, some, some different styles of protein and some whole, you know, um, complex, complex carbohydrates. It's a whole different eating style. I do think you can do that, but you have to, you know, it's not about exercising and eating less. No. And with, with the exercise, the exercise is not a impetus to burn calories because with the strategy that we outlay, which is where you, yes, exactly. you weight train and you eat a very small caloric deficit. Bodybuilders have been doing it that way for, you know, 70 years or longer. Uh, you, uh, 
you actually burn more fat at rest, particularly while you're sleeping. Uh, you burn a very small amount, only about 10% of your ca daily calorie burn is the result of exercise. Uh, so you're never going to you're never going to exercise enough in order for that to make a difference. But if you have proportionally more muscle mass on you just walking around because you weight train three days a week, uh, now your body is your metabolic rate is going to be kind of optimized and maintained. And now you're going to be able to burn literally burn fat at rest. Uh, now you throw in a little bit of fasting, a little bit of fasting, not just dinner every day. That's not fasting, that's starving. Uh, and a little bit of uh, a lower carb. Uh, we like to cycle carbohydrates. We don't recommend necessarily that you're keto or low carb for months and months on end because of the same trap that happens when you cut out a whole macro, macro group like carbohydrates, your calories drop. Uh, so now not only are you low carb, but you're low calorie, nobody overcompensates on a ketogenic diet by increasing their fat because we're still, you know, uh, as humans in America, we're still sort of uh, afraid of increasing our fat. One, we don't know really know how to do it. And we're sort of afraid that that's going to actually produce the wrong result. Uh, so like I said, there's uh uh, there, you know, there's a lot more to that to unravel. Uh, in this context, uh, she's sort of right. Too high estrogen is going to cause problems. Too low of estrogen, but in the context of menopause, uh, estrogen is what makes a woman a woman. The more of it she has, usually the better she feels. Yeah. So, sorry, Tracy. I know we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent, but the the main answer to this is like she's saying, hey, estrogen seems to be blamed for the weight gain, whether it's high or low, and it shouldn't be because it's not about the estrogen. It's about the estrogen can buffer things, but it's all about that cortisol, that insulin, that lifestyle. I do feel like with our patients that come see us that are going through menopause, yeah, if you're not sleeping, if you're tired, you're going to make bad choices. You know, that I'm hungry, I'm tired, I don't want to exercise, I just want some comfort food. And that is biology. You can't, you can't work your way, you know, you can't, the willpower will never win in the end. Biology always will. So it's nobody's like fault for being that they can't be strong enough or something because biology always will surpass willpower. So I do think the estrogen is a huge important factor, but it's not the only factor. Yeah, right. It, it's a factor, but uh, in menopause, particularly at least a lot of the women that we've dealt with over the years, uh, the the presence or uh, lack thereof of estrogen is usually the least factor of them either gaining or losing weight. Uh, it's a lot of these other lifestyle things that we've been talking about that need to be kind of brought into that situation uh, and, uh, you know, and then you never hear about the women that don't gain weight during menopause. Uh, you know, why is that? Now, granted, I think that's a relatively small minority because I think that this is a kind of a societal, you know, becomes a societal thing um, that you get to this certain point and your hormones disappear and you feel terrible. All right. Now, maybe we're a little biased because that's who we work <laughs> with on a regular basis. So we don't know necessarily how women, how many women out there go through that transition smoothly because we always deal with the problems of that transition. You know, uh, that'd be interesting statistic to actually look at. I've never really looked at that before, just because we're always, you know, kind of in the in the in the fray, so to speak, of dealing with some of those hormonal problems. Uh, so. Oh, my goodness. Like I said, Tracy, we definitely went off on a tangent on this, but. Um I think, I think this was good. Yeah. Well, like I said, she brings up, that's why I proposed this one because I think that she, you know, she's, you know, she's battling with the same thing. Well, if it's too high or too low, it causes the same result. And that's uh, sort of, it does. Um, I think in this context of menopause, when it's too low, you gain weight because 
of the influence that cortisol has. Uh, not sleeping, you know, just mm-hmm. that alone is going to upregulate cortisol expression, so and to speak. Insulin. Mm-hmm. And that indirectly, the increase in cortisol indirectly, uh, the only fat storing hormone in the body is insulin, but cortisol is like a primer for that. Now we can think about it, like, like I said, uh, on our website, progresshealth.com for this episode, we're going to put up a little a graph or a little chart of this little, uh, you know, and uh, diagram kind of thing of what we talked about, uh, fat cell, uh, uh, li- uh, lipoprotein lipase, hormone sensitive lipase. And uh, I like pictures like that. So we'll have it on the website. You can download it. It's just a one page thing. Uh, but it'll kind of make it, you know, it could be sort of complex, but uh, for some, it could be a nice visual. Uh, and thinking about in your daily life, your daily, your 24 hour schedule all the time, think about how cortisol could be influencing your waistline. Uh, that we have to be gentle on ourselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, that way, hopefully our bodies kind of, uh, they follow suit and do what we want. I agree. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes. That actually sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, So till next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.